Good morning. This is God's word. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Well, that certainly sets the tone for the message today. <laughs> if, uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City Bible Church. And we're working our way through a sermon series called Things That Are Hard to Do. Last week, Pastor Aaron had the joy of preaching on the love of God. This week, I get to preach on the wrath of God. Both are very important and essential truths about who God is and his character. And, and so uh, we will we'll be talking about hell today. It's hard to come to grips with hell. And uh, just as a way to uh, preface, uh, there's a ton of scripture about judgment and wrath and uh, eternal punishment. And there's also a ton of discussion that happened after scripture to this point. Uh, discussions and books being written and uh, there's, in other words, there's a lot of material out there. So on our website, I've, uh, we, we put our sermon notes as well as more resources in case you want to dig deeper in any of these topics. You go to uh, our website and then resources, then sermons, then today's date, and then more resources. If you can follow all that, you'll be great. So let's, let's, let's uh, approach the topic this way. I'm going to ask a series of six questions and then address uh, those questions, and uh, we'll think through the topic of hell that way. So first question, whatever happened to hell? In our current uh, cultural context, hell has changed a lot from the, the way it used to, used to just be an accepted truth. Uh, the details of hell were, re- were generally accepted, but the, that cultural understanding has changed and even radically changing within the Christian church as well, so here are three ways we've seen uh, the concept of hell uh, addressed. Mockery is the first. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, "In heaven, all the interesting people are missing." And so that theme has carried on into a lot of areas of of culture. Uh, Freddie Mercury, continuing that same theme, said, "I was not made for heaven. No, I don't want to go to heaven." Hell is much better. Think of all the interesting people you're going to meet down there. And famously, Mark Twain said, go to heaven for the climate. Go to hell for the company. So there's this general mockery of spiritual things and heaven and hell. But uh, taking, if you step back to a kind of a scientific or secular approach, there's just General dismissal of all things spiritual, including dismissal of heaven and hell. In other words, from that perspective, this life is all there is. Once you die, nothing. 
uh, from, for those who've had a church background or, or been around uh, the teaching about hell or the gospel, uh, sometimes you have an approach that's more along the lines of contempt. You, you get people saying things like, I could never believe in a God who would send people to hell. And this sort of a contemptual approach, a reactionary approach. And I would say increasingly within the church, there is more and more ignorance about what the scriptures actually teach about hell. So, why then, if we, um, if we included hell in a series called Things That Are Hard To Do, why do we have a problem with hell? Why is hell such a big deal? Why is it such a problem? Here, here are some thoughts on that. First of all, we see hell as unjust. Sometimes we just feel it is unfair for God to judge people and send people to hell. Uh, although the scripture says otherwise, for instance, in 1 Peter 1. But people will, will say, I want to come to God on my terms. And if God sends people to hell, I will not follow that God. It is, it is a, a sense that God is unjust for having hell or sending people to hell. As an answer to that, think of, think of this idea. Who... Do you think you are to judge God about what is right and wrong and just and unjust? Edward Donnelly in the book, Biblical Teaching on the Doctrines of Heaven and Hell, says, We are in no position to criticize the penalty, uh, in other words, hell, because we have little understanding of the extent of the guilt involved. Our concept of sin is utterly inadequate. Even the most sensitive conscience has little awareness of sin's true wickedness, and we are simply not competent to assess how much punishment it deserves. We cannot appreciate how awful a thing it is to disobey God, nor are we able to weigh up the relative seriousness of our various offenses against his law. Who do we think we are to call God unjust? Another reason we have a problem with hell is we underestimate the complexity of God. And you'll get uh, arguments like this. How can a loving God send people to hell? We love to focus on that attribute of God, that God is love. It makes us feel good. But we, we cannot comprehend how God's love and his holy righteous judgment can go together. Uh, I would say, and many theologians say, that love actually demands justice. And there's a lot to be said about that. But uh, we must understand, no teacher in the Scripture was more loving than the Savior. In fact, the Scripture says, this is love, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. No one was more loving than Christ, and yet no one ever spoke more severely about the punishment of the wicked than Christ. So we, even if we can't understand the complexity of God, it doesn't mean it's not true. And we, uh, I would say this is the, the true heart behind why many people have a problem with hell. We do not want to submit to God. 
We want to be our own God. We want to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We will not submit to God having judgment and authority over us to tell us what to do, how to live, and what the judgment will be if we, if we go our own way. Uh, this might, you might think this is a new development in the human heart, but no. This is at the very beginning of man's rebellious sinfulness. Look at Genesis chapter 3. In attempting Adam and Eve to rebel against God and choose their own way, this is what the serpent said. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing or discerning Good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. In other words, they were presented with this opportunity. Submit and obey to God in all his ways. They are good and just, and it will go well with you, or be your own God. Discern for yourselves what's right and wrong. Choose for your own heart. Uh, good and evil, and that is at the heart of human sinfulness ever since. Another reason that we have a problem with hell is that um, we value feelings or human logic over God's truth. This is an important statement that I'm about to make. What you and I think, believe, or feel about hell has no bearing on the reality of hell. We might want to think and believe and feel that there is no hell or that hell isn't what the scripture says. Whatever you think and feel doesn't change the truth. Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever uh, hopped in the car and gone out to dinner or gone shopping and there it's time to pay? And you know, you believe, you feel your wallet is in your pocket or your purse. And when you go to grab it, is it there? No, you've left it at home. You ever had that experience? That is a very lighthearted example of of deep truth. Your thoughts and feelings and emotions and, and logic can't change reality. But what we believe and think about hell does have direct effects on how we live and how we live out the gospel and how we live as a church and how we uh, understand God and live in relation to him. Someone famously said, the truth is not derived by taking opinion polls. If we just took an opinion poll, what do you think about hell? And we went with the most popular. We'd probably get something radically different what the scripture says, but we will look to the scriptures, and specifically giving special attention to the teachings of Jesus. So let's do that. Next question, is hell real? Is hell real? And by that I mean it's not just a metaphor, it's not a literary device, it's not some tool used in the scripture to try to say sin is bad. No, hell is is real and needs to be taken seriously. So let's look at 
specifically in this section. We're going to look all at the words of Christ. Jesus spoke of hell as a real place. A real place. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus spoke of hell as a real place. Not just there, but in many places. Next, Jesus said that we should go to great lengths to avoid hell. Our passage from this morning that, uh, that was read. We're going to address that in a little more detail in a few moments. I know it's a confusing passage. But at the heart of that, Jesus is saying, you don't want to go to hell. Take whatever means will save you from hell. I'll give you a hint. It's not chopping off your limbs or plucking out your eyes. We'll get to that. So Jesus says, avoid hell. Jesus also said that God made hell. Now, this is a truth that trips up a lot of people. Uh, God made hell, and God is the one that sends people to hell. There's this kind of uh, idea that we like to soften hell by taking God away, making him not culpable for it. Um, famously, C.S. Lewis and maybe some other more modern people uh, talked about hell as uh, God just lets you go on your own way. And you keep getting fur- for eternity, you keep getting further and further away from God and experiencing more and more suffering because of that. Well, that's nice, and it, it seems to make God not uh, responsible. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says God made hell. <clears throat> that shouldn't be hard to understand. There is nothing that has ever existed, does exist, or ever will exist that does not owe its existence to the Creator God. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, that, that hell was the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared by whom? By God. Jesus also, next point, used hell as a warning against sin. So we're saying that hell is a real place. Jesus used hell as a warning against sin. Why would Jesus continually refer to judgment and punishment and eternal hell if it were not real? One example is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's a parable. It has its limitations. But Jesus is speaking about sin. And he's trying to shake people awake, convince them. That their sin is leading them to destruction. And that time after death, there will be no hope. And he paints this picture to shake them awake. You want to know what sin he was confronting? The love of money. Another topic Jesus spoke often about. And uh, finally, in thinking about hell as real. Hell is often portrayed, or excuse me, often paralleled with heaven in the scriptures. Uh, so very often, especially in the teachings of Christ, if, the, if heaven is presented or the, the eternal kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, very often paralleled will be eternal punishment, hell. And I would argue that very few people who want to dismiss hell also want to dismiss heaven. If heaven is real, hell is also real. Uh, Here is a list of some of the parables of Jesus. 
in which at the end of the parable, judgment happens. The righteous who are deemed, those who are deemed righteous enter into eternal, the eternal kingdom of God. And those who are deemed unrighteous enter into eternal punishment. You can look those up and read those at a later time. So next question. If, heaven, if hell is, a, is real, then what is hell like? Now, our ideas of hell and heaven also have largely been shaped, more than likely for you and for me, have largely been shaped by popular culture. A lot of our ideas of what heaven is like and hell is like uh, aren't from the scripture. They're from what people who have imagined heaven and hell to be like and have Therefore, it's permeated uh, our, our thoughts and our minds. For, in, for when we're just dealing with hell, a lot of what we think about hell has been influenced by Dante's Inferno. Uh, either directly from that, if you read or studied that, or from, from all the downstream culture from that, all the artistic works and literary works and, and, uh, and even um, movies. There was a famous movie with um, Robin Williams. What dreams may come, and it very much parallels Dante's Inferno and has correlation. So uh, maybe that's some of the ways you've started to think about hell. Or, or perhaps Looney Tunes influenced your ideas of what hell are like. Melissa reminded me this week, there was a whole Looney Tunes episode where Yosemite Sam died and went to hell and then talked his way out and kept, kept that cycle going for quite a bit. Uh, definitely has impacts. On young minds. Perhaps if you grew up uh, and you were a teenager in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s, and you were in a church, maybe even in the South, you had hell, your ideas of hell influenced by Judgment House. You ever been to a Judgment House? Think Haunted House for Christians. <laughs> Literally, it, it usually came around Halloween, and the goal... Literally, scare the hell out of teenagers. <laughs> That's the point. Needless to say, their depictions of hell and their tactics were not necessarily scriptural. So what is hell like? Well, there is one word of caution. I couldn't find who, quote, who said this quote. But uh, it's just this word of caution. Be, be careful of emphasizing too much the furniture of heaven and the temperature of hell. Scripture leaves a lot of the details of both heaven and hell vague for a purpose. Our, our emphasis, our heart's desire should not be for all the details. It should be for the Savior who saves us from hell to heaven. The, the God, God the Father in whose presence we should dwell forever. That, that, that should be our emphasis. And we, let, we trust God for the details. But we can know some things about hell from the scripture. Jesus' go-to illustration of hell is Gehenna. Uh, that, that's the Greek word. So uh, we would say the Valley of Hinnom. And it has a, a long and, and, and very tragic history. This was a place in the Old Testament uh, where in Israel's history, when they were worshiping false gods, they performed child sacrifice to false gods in this place. And it, was, it became an accursed place, of course. And so by Jesus' day, it was the place, it was the landfill of the time. 
all the refuse, the, the, the household refuse, the human waste, the dead animals. It's, it's not the sterile kind of landfill like we, we put it in the, in the bin and the truck comes on Thursday and you never see it again. It wasn't that. It was a place outside of Jerusalem. And you, if you were traveling that way, you saw it. You could see the smoke rising for miles. You, you smelled the stench. If you happened to visit there, it was, it was horrifying. It might give you PTSD. There, not, not only was all the, the, the waste and the human waste and, and the dead animals, not only were they there, there was fire that never went out to consume all of that. There were, uh, there were maggots and worms chewing and continuing. The whole thing was just writhing with movement. There was, uh, of course, uh, scavengers coming and picking and eating at it. And, and, and the, as I mentioned, the stench just knocked you down. It was a place of nightmares. And this is the example that Jesus used over and over to describe hell. And, uh, and I would say, I would point out that of the 12 times in the New Testament when Gehenna is used, Jesus uses it 11 times. So Jesus intentionally would call to mind, when he was talking about judgment and hell and uh, eternal punishment, he would intentionally provoke in the minds of his hearers that place. He would say, that is it. Now, of course, it is a metaphor. It's, it's a simile. It's an illustration. But it, one thing it is not, it is not the opposite. Okay? Anything that hell really is, is in some way, we would say, yes, it is like that. So here are some descriptions. Being outside, away from the presence of God. That's probably the most important. To be cast out from the presence of God. To be alone. Another is darkness, often paired with utter darkness or outer darkness. Uh, th- this, is, this is more than it might seem. In scriptures, light and dark have deep meanings. They, they stand for things. They're symbols. Light meaning life and God's presence and everything that's right and good and joy and peace and happiness. All that is in the light. In the darkness is everything else. Everything that is evil and, uh, and away from God and lonely and, and the place of punishment and destruction. All that is in darkness. And so when, when, uh, when Jesus says there's a place of darkness, he's invoking all of that as well. Another description is pain and torment represented by the unquenchable fire. None of us would question that fire is painful and, and, is a, and would be tormentous on us. And uh, especially paired with this idea of unable to be put out. Unquenchable. So therefore, uh, this leads to the next point that it is a place of conscious anguish and sorrow. Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, uh, says there's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I heard someone try to explain it as gnashing of teeth as being angry at God. I, I, I don't see that. I see it as gnashing of teeth in anguish and suffering and sorrow. Uh, similar to that would be that where their worm does not die. Some interpreters describe this as an in, internal uh, regret and recognition of guilt. That you, you, you're, you're not blaming God, you are blaming self and you just live in that pity and regret and, and it just eats you alive like a worm inside. 
But this is a place of deserved punishment for sin. No one goes to hell by accident. It is a place of deserved punishment for sin. Look at this scripture, Colossians 3, 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. People who think they have power in this life have no power to sway God's judgment. And finally, what is hell like? Hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. Eternal, And this is uh, almost every time in the New Testament that hell is described, eternal is put with it. And in even, even more than that, uh, if you were to look at... I stayed away from Revelation a lot for this message because Revelation is prophecy. And it can be interpreted lots of ways. But, there, but for this point, I do want to draw attention to Revelation 14 and Revelation 20. You should read the... Uh, in those passages, both use a, a phrase. And the phrase, of, of speaking about the punishment of those who are uh, judged unrighteous, that they are, the, the phrase is day and night, forever and ever. In one sense, it is they are tormented day and night, forever and ever. In another sense, they are, uh, are, find no rest day and night, forever and ever. And so there's this teaching in the scripture that hell is eternal. And I want to point out again the parallels. We, we just use that to help, us, help remind us that hell is real, if heaven is real. But the same goes for eternal. If heaven, if, if, if eternal life is eternal, then eternal punishment is eternal. And uh, Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology says, The parallel between eternal life and eternal punishment indicates that both states will be without end. Look at this verse, Matthew 25, 46. And they will go away to, into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see that parallel? It's all through the New Testament. If heaven is eternal, hell is eternal. Now, here's where we're going to pause for just a minute. Because if you've studied any of this, or you, maybe you've, you like reading popular Christian books that come out, you will know there's discussion about this point. It's about the interpretation of eternal and in relation to hell. Nobody's really debating if heaven's eternal. We, we got that. But let's, let's step back and let's see if we can renegotiate what the eternal part of hell is about. And so I want to give you uh, just an honest look at three interpretations of the eternal aspect of hell. And... I want to say there's a lot of interpretations of hell and, and even the eternal part. These three, um, some more so than others, at least come from people who genuinely want to be accurate to the Scripture. They are looking to the Scripture to define hell, not looking to their own heart or the society's opinions. So people that say, I want to use good biblical interpretation skills and, and methods, and I'm going to look at the Scriptures that come away with what the eternal part of hell is. They, they come up with these three. The first is not only the most popular, but it's the tradition of you. It's been around since the earliest church fathers, the earliest writings we have about hell. And, uh, and it's probably what most of us, if we grew up in church, we grew up understanding hell to be. It's what I, I believe the scripture teaches uh, most accurately. And that is, hell is, the eternal part of hell is eternal conscious 
punishment. Sometimes they call it eternal conscious torment. A second view, and this also has uh, a lot of uh, scriptural backing. Uh, People are, uh, more and more people in evangelical circles are arriving at this conclusion. It is a version of of annihilationism. It is not full annihilationism, okay? So there are many versions of these different approaches. But this is called conditional immortality. And, And it gets kind of complicated because it goes into a discussion about the soul of man and whether or not people have inherently an eternal soul. Or did that idea come with the Greek philosophers? And so Christianity has adopted that. Greek philosophers have great impact on Christian thought. Did that come with them? Uh, and we really don't have an eternal soul. And in, so this is where they land. They would land with this idea. God must give those who have been judged unrighteous and are sent to hell, give them a, a life, a, a temporary life to suffer the punishment of hell. And by God's righteous judgment, he determines how long that is for each individual. They suffer conscious punishment. But then when that time has, has ended, then they cease to exist. They would call this, uh, so, so uh, a lot of shorthand is thinking about the fire of hell. With, uh, with eternal conscious punishment, it will be eternal fire. With uh, conditional immortality, it is a fi- hell's fire consumes. So at, one, so at the end, you are burned up and you are no more. And then the final, uh, least biblical, I would say, uh, interpretation is ultimate reconciliation or Christ-centered universalism. It is a form of universalism and has very few scriptures, but they are still pointing to some scriptures where they feel support this. And this, it will be almost the same as conditional immortality, except after suffering a temporary punishment at the wisdom of God, then they are counted righteous and enter into heaven. Uh, again, I do not believe that that is very biblical. Uh, here, here's, here's some thinking to apply to these three um, approaches. Can the suffering of a human times the severity of the suffering times God's uh, amount of time, however much time God uh, allots, can all of that together satisfy God's righteous judgment and his wrath against sin? I believe the scripture says no. I believe the scripture says that because our sin against a holy, righteous God is so great, we could never suffer enough to pay for it. Christ alone could pay for our sins. Just as we could never do enough good to overcome our sin, uh, we could not suffer enough bad. And definitely, to cross the last one off the list, the ultimate reconciliation, definitely, our suffering, severity, and time could not make us righteous in God's eyes. If you were to argue that, you could say maybe it would make us neutral in God's eyes, but definitely could not add anything to us making us righteous. Some ways to think about it. If you want to dig more into this, again, I have resources there on the website. So this question comes next. Who's going to hell? Hands? Anybody? Who is going to hell? You probably can think of a few people. At least a few you would like to see there. But here is the point. You and I, we don't get to decide. 
We do not decide who goes to hell. Jesus very clearly says, judge not or you will be judged. In fact, they tried to trap Jesus into doing just that thing and cause a big stink. They brought someone, a woman, caught in adultery. And there was a judgment that the scripture should, that was demanding on her. Jesus knew they were being unjust in their judgments. And so Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Famous uh, part of the scripture. But the point is this. And, and he's not, Jesus is not telling us, don't discern who is living for God and who's not. That is part of what we do. Both to help share the gospel with people and to help people get back on the right path of following Jesus. We do discern people's fruits. But we are not in the place of deciding or condemning people through our judgment. Who does that? God, Jesus, judges rightly. I say God slash Jesus because uh, ultimately it's God's authority. But the New New Testament describes Jesus as having received that authority and then sits on the seat of judgment and and enacts the judgment. Uh, Jesus says, I don't judge for myself. I judge from God. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 35, that's a famous passage. Uh, If you ever heard or read the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I encourage you to do that if you haven't. But this is the, that's the passage used to speak about the urgency, the, 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 the danger of uh, the precariousness of your life. If you are uh, without Christ, you are, you are under the judgment and the wrath of God. Uh, who's going to hell? Sinners. Sinners die and then face judgment. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, that sinners die. Sinners die and then face judgment. That is the promise of Scripture, Hebrews 9.27. Uh, so who is a sinner then? Everyone is a sinner, and everyone deserves hell. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and do not glorify God as we were intended. All of us. None escapes that. And what is, the, what is the payment, the wages of sin? Death. Sinners die, face judgment. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone deserves hell. And I would say it's important for us to think about ourselves soberly, as Romans 12, 3 says. Do you know that you deserve hell? Even if you're a follower of Christ now, Do you know that you deserve hell? Our fate as sinners is hell. One of the most famous verses of the Bible, John 3, 16, a verse of hope. It tells us our fate. For God so loved the world, or in this version, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What is, where are we headed? We are headed to perishing. How do we get to hell? We simply do nothing. That is the direction we are going. That is our destiny. Hell is easy to get to. You just do nothing. We are perishing unless God intervenes. 
unless God intervenes. And so there is great urgency when it comes to hell. So final question. Is there any hope in the face of hell? Well, I'll tell you what. There's no hope in good works. Ephesians makes that clear. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We are saved not by works. You cannot do enough good to make you right with God. There's no hope in avoiding evil. You cannot avoid enough sin. In fact, that's, I want to speak a, a little bit about that passage from earlier. No one was saved from hell by chopping off a limb or gouging out an eye. In fact, what's required from us is much worse than that. Jesus wasn't advocating for chopping off limbs and gouging out eyes. He was trying to impress on us the fear of God's judgment and avoiding it at all costs. But avoiding hell is not the same thing as just avoiding evil. It's much worse than chopping off limbs. It's our very heart that is at the, at the center of our sinning. Jesus said you must die to yourself. And why? Because all of us have gone astray. Everyone has turned our own way. It's too late for avoiding evil. It is too late. So Jesus says you must be born again. John 3, 3. And there's no hope in second chances after death. Some people wrongly believe, probably for some misunderstanding of a, a Catholic teaching about uh, purgatory. Some people wrongly believe, I can live however I want in this life. God's going to give me a second chance. I can pay for it in the afterlife, or, or I can choose Christ in the afterlife, or I can have another chance. And they hold on to that hope, refusing to submit to God and to Christ in this life. There is no second chance. Again, Hebrews 9.27, we die and face judgment. No second chances. And there is no hope in other religions, other beliefs, other systems. The scripture is clear on that. There is no true universalism. All roads lead to God. No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Therefore, our only hope, our only hope is in Jesus the Christ who died for us. Romans 5.8, he, he died for us while we were still sinners. Not those who were avoiding evil, not those doing good. No, we were sinners. We were lost and dead and condemned in our sin. And he died for us. He made atonement for us. We sang about atonement in one of the songs earlier. What is atonement? It means to make us right with God. It only comes through Jesus Christ. John Piper says, and let the nations be glad. What do they have to be glad about? The New Testament makes clear that the atoning work of Christ is the one and only way for anyone to get right with God. The problem of sin is universal, cutting people off from God. The solution to that problem is the atoning death of the Son of God offered once for all. So I would urge you with this scripture. 
from Isaiah 53. To put your faith in Jesus who took your punishment. The scripture says, Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Jesus is our only hope. So, A summary of all the truths about hell. You might think of it this way. If I want to talk to someone about hell, remember these things. Hell is real and terrible. No one wants to go to hell. If someone says they want to go to hell, they don't understand hell. God rightly judges sinners of whom we all are. Every sinner is destined for hell, and Jesus Christ is our only hope. That's what you need to know to talk about hell. And when we put our faith in Christ, there is great assurance. Not the kind of assurance that the old southern preachers used to say, uh, get your fire insurance. No, we're not, we're not saved uh, merely uh, to avoid hell. We are saved to a relationship with God, our creator, our maker. And so we, ha- we don't have to have any anxiety about hell when we are in Christ. And so here are next steps. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, if you've never bowed your knee and said, I am a sinner, I need the salvation that comes through Christ, please forgive me. I believe that Christ died for me. If you've never done that, let today be that day. Wait no longer. And if you, could, if you are not decided yet, I urge you to go and read or listen to that message, Sinners in the Hands of Anger God. It will impress upon you the urgency to turn to Christ. And we would love to help you repent of your sins and follow Jesus. Talk to me or someone at the prayer booth after or someone uh, that you know uh, is uh, on staff or a volunteer. We would love to tell you how you can put your faith in Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God. Are you already a believer in Jesus? I would encourage you. We're, we're about to sing in just a minute after we take uh, the Lord's table. Give God thanks for the grace that is yours in Jesus. We deserve hell. We do not deserve Jesus. And yet God in his love and grace has given us Christ. Make, also, make firm your faith. Every day, reaffirm your faith in Christ. There are a lot of forces trying to, to uh, remove your understanding of God's truth, to, uh, to lead you in another way. But no, don't be swayed by arguments, by new ways of thinking about biblical truths. Also, for some reason, as uh, the longer we follow Christ, we start to take more and more credit for our own salvation. Do not digress into self-righteousness. None of us, no matter how long we follow Christ, have any claim to, to the merit of our salvation. And finally, join God in sharing this good news of the hope of Jesus. There is a lost and dying world that needs to hear this message, and God gives us the voice and invites us to join him in that. Romans 10, we're going to end with this. Romans 10, 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you today, call on the name of the Lord in faith. How then can they call on him whom, in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And I want to say that preacher is not me. It's not Pastor Aaron. It's all of us. Join with God in sharing that good news. Will you pray with me? Our great God, I pray that your conviction would fall on us. We think rightly about ourselves that we deserve hell. And we do not deserve Jesus. And yet you gave us the Christ. Would you have mercy on us, sinners? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.